Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is good to be with you today Indeed. via Facebook Live Indeed. and on podcast. Renaud, how are you today? Good, good, yeah. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to continue our journey into the grand adventure of things to be discovered. <laughs> yes, that is about as specific as it can get right there. Amen. Amen. But that's what makes this space fun, right? Is it is. We're going to travel into things that we wonder about and that we wrestle with and see where it takes us. Yeah. Well, it's going to be good today. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, talking about sorrow and suffering yep. and the spaces that we uh, find ourselves in uh, this planet of death that uh, we like to call it. Um, and kind of coming out of that, uh, we asked some questions about uh, healing and mm -hmm. uh, how that works and faith and how mm -hmm. that plays into uh, healing. And as we were talking, um, you know, you talked a lot about faith and doubt and, um, you know, the idea that if we have enough faith, we, um, you know, the, the perception that we could be healed if we just have enough faith and how that is just absolute garbage. And yeah. Just thinking through that, and that's that's my words, not your words. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, you, you know, the the idea, obviously, in that is, our faith is a means by which we participate in the healing as a potential. Right. We, we get to be participants. Yes. Our faith is not the formula in which it guarantees or thwarts the healing. That's right. So if our faith is the power that affects it, we are in deep trouble. If our faith is a means by which we participate in what God chooses to do or not to do, then it's beautiful. Yeah, that's, absolutely. So, and, and that's that's faith a privilege. Faith as a, a formula joy. is garbage. <laughs> right. Faith as a privilege of yeah. participation is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So have faith. Yeah, have it all 100%. day long. But it's not what's going to guarantee one way or the other something. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah. No. 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 That's as, what, as usual. You <laughs> said it so articulately, so much um, more than I could have. But it was interesting because uh, I think was it was it after our time together that you brought James up? Was yeah. It, was so it as as that? we were kind of, it was interesting because we were very much toward the end of our time together, yeah. and um, immediately the the passage that James talks about faith and doubt um, is uh, is kind of bubbling up into my brain. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've studied this before. Mm. You've preached on this before. Sure. But it's relevant to the conversation insofar as. That is the natural question that people have. If I'm reading the Bible and I come to a passage that is specifically talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, doubt and uh, asking God for things and whether or not we receive the things that we ask for, um, it's a huge question. So James, I'll, I'll, I'll read kind of the passage that was coming to my mind, and we're going to launch into our conversation today uh, as we discuss faith and doubt um, and talk about where does where where does doubt um, kind of play into this yeah. whole this And this whole passage process. that uh, Joel's about to read, um, the reason this one particularly came to your mind is because it does seem in this passage, not seem, it, it says, uh, you know, ask God for things, but then if you don't believe, if you doubt what he says, well, then you're not going to get these things. And so the question that you uh, had posed, which was right, the right question, is here's a passage that seems to say, when you ask for things, you better have faith, because if you don't, then you ain't going to get them. Yeah. So, so how come that doesn't play into a space like when you ask for a healing, you better have faith, otherwise you're not going to get it. Is this that context? Is it a different context? What does it mean? And that's how this discussion on this passage started, right. which then launched into a bit of a discussion about faith and doubt and how they do play and what's appropriate and what's not in context. So why don't you go ahead and read Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly um, how that that progression begins to kind of unfold in our mind. And I'm going to read the verse um, specifically that it says it, and then I'm going to um, broaden it to the context. 
And, and just in general, as we read the Bible, this is why, you know, context really matters in understanding exactly what sure. is being said. But verse 6 of James uh, chapter 1 says, um, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Yeah. <laughs> so James is uh, making some pretty bold statements about yeah. faith and doubt here. If you come ask God for something, you better ask with faith. Because if you don't believe, you are double-minded. You can't expect to get anything from God. So, that, so there's the verse, Yeah, right? that's the verse. When you come ask... You better have faith, right. otherwise. So, otherwise, if you're you not going to receive verse, anything from God by itself, yeah. your conclusion would have to be: yeah. anytime I ask for anything, if I have any doubt, God is going to purposefully not give it to me, and I am double-minded, and I sh should expect not to receive anything. So, conclusion: when I pray for fill in the blank, especially healings, I have to believe have faith. fully, because right. any no lack of belief, any doubt. This is going to be my inevitable end. So this is why context for the passage matters. We're going to get into that. And this is also why context for the whole of Scripture matters. Like, totally. what is, what is the, the, um, the full counsel of the Word of God saying about this whole thing? Yep. And how, how do I uh, And before you read that, that yep. just one thing, speaking of the context of Scripture, I think here's the dilemma that we face a little bit. And oftentimes as we encounter a verse like this that seems to say one thing, mm -hmm. and then we encounter all the stories that we talked about last week. So if you missed last week, now would be a really good time to go listen Press to last pause. week because it'll give you the premise of how many other things in Scripture say there was no formula. Yeah. There were people that both doubted and had faith but were both healed, and there were people that doubted and had faith and weren't healed. So we, we, we enter Scripture in a space that in its whole counsel seems to say one thing, and then we encounter a verse like this that seems to directly say this other thing, and then we are like, so what does this then mean to that? Right. But the key first is to take a verse like this and go, hold on, let's, let's back up. Is it actually saying what we think it is saying? So start us at verse 5 to just give us the next level of context, and then we'll travel from there. Yeah, and I'll actually go back up to verse Verse. Don't go yet. Okay, start in five. five. Okay, so verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. There you go. Then the next verse, verse six, is, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Yep. So now, now what begins to happen is that the next level of context, yeah. of the immediate context, starts answering a question for us. So what is the question that verse 5 answers? Verse 5, which says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. It takes the context of what the ask is yes. and narrows it. It narrows it so down. It's saying, this is not a context that's saying when you ask for, for anything, anything, ask with no doubt or, or you'll receive nothing. Or in context of our previous conversation, if you ask for healing, Right. That's right. not what he's talking about. He specifically here says, when you need wisdom, wisdom. Cl a clarity, mm -hmm. a wisdom on how to enter something, right. then come and ask. Because when you ask for wisdom, guess what God promises? Now, this is interesting because now he also says this, unlike healings or other things where he doesn't say, if you come and ask, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Right. Here he says, if you come ask for wisdom, 
for clarity, if you seek me, uh, it kind of goes back to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Yeah. Like if you come and ask me how to enter a space, how to enter a circumstance, how to enter a relational dynamic, how to enter and you seek my spirit and my word, you come and ask me for wisdom. So the asking isn't just God download wisdom into my head. It, it, James's context here is as you come and seek wisdom from God, and how do you seek wisdom? You ask, you, you read his word, you seek counsel. Like I'm saying, God, show me through your word and your spirit what wisdom is. Here's what God says. You, you want wisdom? I will give it to you. you. You will have it. And I will give it to you liberally. generously, yeah. liberally. Yeah. You'll have it. So there's our immediate context. So you're now, ready to go one more? Uh, Back so, up a little bit? So right before we do, okay. now he says in that immediate context, wisdom, when you ask for wisdom. So yep. the, the verse six didn't have to do that because verse five or verse, anyways, yep. mm -hmm. yeah, verse six didn't have to do that yep. because verse five is in place. It's already given you context. But if Paul was afraid that we would take things out of context, James, but yes, I'm sorry, James, yeah, why yeah, am I saying it's cool, Paul? It's cool. James, we like Paul. Book. We're in we do. Paul right now. Ephesians. Um, <laughs> if James was concerned about our insanity of pulling single verses out like we do in our culture, he might've done this. And when you ask specifically for wisdom, right. make sure you ask with no doubt. So right. what, what does he mean by that? And that's what we'll get to in a second. So now, now back us up uh, one more context level, and then we'll even see more narrowly what wisdom he's talking about. Yeah, and I think it's really important to understand when you're reading biblical literature, yep. um, the letter of James would have been read in a sitting. Yep. Like it wouldn't Whole have been thing. like, oh, let's pull out James chapter, you know, one verse I mean, when six have you today. ever received a letter or an email for that matter? Because, you know, when, who gets letters anymore? But you get an email and you skip the first two paragraphs, go straight to paragraph three, read sentence four. See if you pull something from that. Right. Mm. I, today, we're just doing sentence four <laughs> of paragraph seven. I have no idea what, what paragraph comes one before, and two said. What comes after. But it seems my friend is mad at me <laughs> because they've said this thing and you're like, Actually, they were telling you about an incident 20 years ago that they were mad at another friend of yours. To, but yeah. you don't know that because you – who Shoot. does that? No one Nobody does that. Does that. Yeah. But we do it with Scripture all the time. All the time. Yeah, that's yep. interesting. Anyways, roll us back. So um, rolling us back, James begins this letter. First, he greets everyone. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So he's talking to Jewish Christians. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, <laughs> right? So, so then, now we're yeah. back, in, back into so, our section. So, so, now, so now watch how beautiful the journey of contextualization becomes in scripture where we, uh, in, in, in contextualization, because it answers so many questions when we do this properly, you have your biblical contextualization. Mm -hmm. So that, that is dealing with the verse in the text, right. the text in the book, the book in the Bible, right? right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's all of the textual contextualization. Yep. I'm looking purely at what scripture says. And then you've got your historical contextualization, right. which oftentimes will give you a whole nother layer totally. of context, because if you know who the author is, who the recipients are, what the timing was, what the circumstances that were going on, it gives context for why the letter yep. says certain things. Yep. So our job is always 
to first do a biblical contextualization. Yeah, literary I'm, context. I'm, I'm looking at the literary context, the mm -hmm. verse within the passage, the passage within the book. Yep. Then a biblical context, yep. the book within the Bible, right. or that passage within the Bible. Right. So I'm always like, like literary. What, like, what's the genre of this? Is this a yep. letter? Is this yep, the gospel? Exactly. Is this uh, poetry? And then the historical context. So in this particular case, yep. you now have a biblical context, mm -hmm. and that is you are facing trials. Mm -hmm. When you do, don't wonder whether God is absent or present. He's present. And actually don't wonder whether he is powerless or powerful. He's powerful. Mm -hmm. He's taking these trials that feel like he's absent and powerless, and he's actually present and powerful, and he's redeeming those trials for something so beautiful and so powerful. It's actually your maturity, your completeness, your not lacking anything. Your yep. perfection, yep. right? Mm -hmm. But when you're in the middle of trials... We, when are we ever super confused about what to do when everything's just going super well, right? I mean, on occasion, we might like, what, what's the best move here? But generally, if circumstances are as they should be, relationships are as they should be, uh, resources are as they should be, life is going well. I'm not seeking godly counsel because I'm confused. I'm, not, I'm generally like, yeah, how's life? It's, it's good. You need anything right now? Not, not, not really. You, you don't feel like you're lacking anything. You don't anything. feel like you're lacking anything. Mm -hmm. So when do we suddenly feel like, what do I do? What, what do I do? What do I do? It's when suddenly a circumstantial, relational, or resource trial enters our space. And we're like, how do I handle this? How do I do this, God? How do I do this, God? So, mm -hmm. so when you're in the middle of trials, what are you probably going to lack? Wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah. So he's saying, my dear fellow believers, mm -hmm. we are in the midst of a bunch of trials. Yeah. And you think maybe God is absent or powerless. First of all, he's not. He's up to something awesome. Here's what it is. If in the middle of this, your big struggle is what do I do? Which is an appropriate question to ask in a relational, circumstantial, or resource trial. How do we respond? We are now followers of Jesus. How do we respond? Then you should go seek God because he will show you. He has shown us. Now, who is James writing to? Here's where the latter gives us the historical context to the 12 tribes scattered. Right. So now we know James is writing to a group of believers and he's referring to them specifically in the Jewish context. Right. So we know historically then that this is at a point that James is writing where the church has not made a full transition into the Gentiles joining the church. Mm -hmm. It's possible in this historical space that it's happened like Cornelius and in the incident with Peter. It's something very like that. early. But it's so early on that James from Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, yeah. is still assuming that he's writing to a Jewish church, right? A Jewish Christian Which audience. means we're, yep. we're very early. So now we yep. also know historically that James then is the really the first early New Testament letter to go out. It yep. goes out around the time that James, the disciple of Jesus, is beheaded. Beheaded by Herod. Right? By Herod in a weird set of circumstances. Yep. So now a giant question emerges in the church. If one of the apostles, they're able to kill them, we thought they were supernaturally protected. If they're going to die... What's going to happen? We're dead. To him? Like, mm -hmm. we're definitely dead. Yep. Peter's arrested. He's released supernaturally from prison, but it's really getting, getting heated. So he kind of goes underground a little bit, right? Yeah. So now James, heading up the church in Jerusalem, writes this letter to say to the church that is feeling this absence of God's power or presence and a wondering, like, where, what, what happens next? What do we do? And he's writing to them saying, my dear Jewish Christians, because mm -hmm. that's how early we are. I know that we've just gotten started with this gospel thing. And so we don't really have any context yet. Right. We don't really have any like what, 
We are. Yeah, we they are. They can't read the Bible about it. No, like and, they, and they don't even have 30 years or 15 years. Yeah. They don't have the letters from Paul or yeah. Peter or John. They, they, yeah. I mean, literally, None the Gospels that. haven't been written. Nope. I mean, we literally have the Old Testament yep. and the New Gospel, and we're a couple of uh, steps into this process, and our big boys, the, the apostles, are being killed and arrested. <laughs> okay, so I'm like, wow! That's a lot. James writes, and he says, first of all, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Because God God's is doing here. it up. Second of all, I bet you're confused. Mm-hmm. I, I bet you're going, what do we do? So listen, when you struggle with what you need to do, come, come and ask God. And he will liberally and, and, and generously give to you what you need. Seek his word. Now, why would he then say, now, <laughs> if you're going to come and ask God for wisdom in the midst of trials. So there's the context you have to stay, stay in. If you're going to ask God for wisdom in the midst of trials, mm-hmm. not for anything in the midst of life. Right. In that particular context, don't come with your doubt in what? Your doubt in that God's going to give you wisdom? No, because he just said God's going to give you wisdom. What do we as humans do when we encounter God's version of wisdom? We evaluate whether or not we think it's wise. Whether or not we think it's wise. (laughs) Because sometimes God's particular wisdom doesn't align super well with our particular preferences or our particular hopes or our particular desires, right? So I mean, just I'm just <clears> saying, <throat> how many times have we not heard God, the Bible? The Bible says we should live this way, do this thing, turn the other cheek, not do this, do this, and we think to ourselves, I mean, could, no. Well, let, no. Me, let me read okay. something that yeah. might uh, add sure. a little bit of uh, color to what you're saying. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So from the very beginning (laughs) of our story, this is from the fall. This is Genesis, Adam and Eve. Uh, Here they are in, in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they look at the, the tree and they say, you know what? This is desirable to yep. make me yep. wise God in my said, own wisdom. Right. God said it wasn't. Right. God said it would kill me. Right. God must be wrong. Yeah. Because there's no way that from, based on my observation, that yep. makes any sense. Right. Good tree, good fruit, wisdom as its end. Right. And you said don't eat it. And that's what the enemy says. He says, listen, God is withholding yep. wisdom from you. Yeah. He's withholding knowledge from you. Yep. And if you take and eat from this, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Yep. You'll be your- and what the enemy also does is when we do encounter God's wisdom, God's way, here's yep. God's way. Yep. Uh, here's how you encounter a relational trial. Mm-hmm. Do these things. So for example, just, just I mean, it's a silly example get, we get all know as a Christian, right. but, but yeah, um, when you encounter an enemy, mm-hmm. feed your enemy when they're hungry, love your enemy when they're against you. So we, we always are like, yeah, baby. What about that person that is literally actively working to undermine you at work and take your job? What do you do mm. then? God, what this person is just constantly against me. <clears throat> yeah, bless, no, that's bless him. Really hard. But bl- <laughs> bless them regularly. Super hard. So, so you do that because, because here's how you think. If I do it God's way, what God means by bless them is I'll bless them for a week or two. He'll be blown away. She'll be blown away. They'll change their entire mind. They will align with me and they'll stop t- trying to steal my job and we'll be best friends forever. <laughs> right. How's that gone for you? Yeah, of course. Sometimes yeah. we bless our enemy 
for months or years and they use the blessings we bring to them against us yeah. to actually fulfill their dream and they take our job yeah. and then we are left on the street with no money and no job and we think to ourselves, that was a stupid plan, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of those kinds of things we, we press into spaces where maybe God has a way and his way doesn't align with what makes most sense. A business deal is coming through and if I can just, like I know that's what I'm about to say here in this presentation is not truthful. It might be truthful in a, in a month or two or five. But if I tell the truth here, like legitimately, like guys, this is, this is the truth. We're not getting this deal. The other company's gonna get the deal. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be not deceptive, deceptive, but just, eh. God, what, what, is, what would you like me to do in this difficult scenario to get this? Well, I want you to be truthful. Well, what I, what, I, what I meant when I asked you the question, God, was like, how do you want me to be careful with this? I just, want, I just want you to be truthful. Yeah, but God, if I do that, then... So this is what James is saying. When you come to God and ask him for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. You're going to find it. It's in his word or it's in his, by spirit, in his people, right? You're going to find it. Are you going to like it? I have no idea. Yeah. I've no, maybe you will sometimes, maybe you won't, maybe it'll make sense, maybe it won't, mm. maybe it will match your preferences, maybe it won't, maybe it will cost you greatly, maybe it will give you gain, but he's going to give you his wisdom. Mm. When he gives it to you, now here's James, when he gives you his wisdom, you're going to have a choice. You can believe his way and do it, regardless of what it plays out to be. Or you cannot believe his way mm. and not do it. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are the only two options when God gives you clarity and wisdom mm -hmm. for how to handle a circumstantial, relational, or um, resource trial. Do it his way or don't do it his way once he's shown you. Okay, okay, I got it. I, I got it. So then he says this. And just FYI, if you doubt his wisdom, so he's not saying if you have doubt in your heart, if you doubt God, that's a different context. Totally. That's not this context. He's specifically now talking, you've asked for wisdom. wisdom. God's given you wisdom liberally. Now you're doubting his wisdom. Right. So you, you're with me on that track. 100%. If, if you doubt his wisdom, then here's what's going to happen. When you go do it your way, what happens when any of us do it our way versus God's way? It might temporarily seem like the right way. But this is what James is saying. You will be like a person tossed to and fro in the wind. What, what, what is the picture there? When you toss to and fro in the wind, like it, it, it's just this picture of randomness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes you'll do it your way and it'll seem to work, but it's not going to. And mm -hmm. then, So you basically will ride the roller coaster. I always tell people, yeah. if we're going to do it our way, sea. it is going to be a roller coaster ride. Yeah. Up and down, yeah. up and down. Because our way is stupid and right. unpredictable. And sometimes it works temporarily and then doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't work. God's way is stable and beautiful, though in the immediate it may sometimes oppose what seems logical. Right. It is the, it is the picture of building your house on the rock. On the rock, right. Yeah. So actually, that's a great illustration. Jesus said, if you want to build your house on the sand, house is good. Like, yeah. looks nice. Easy to build. Easy to build. When the storms come, yeah. it's going to wash away. Yeah. So the point is, what James is saying is, when you ask for wisdom in the midst of struggle and God gives it to you, 
please make sure you actually believe his wisdom and put it into practice. Because if you don't, you will be tossed to and fro. And by the way, any person that comes to God asking for wisdom and God gives them wisdom and they doubt the wisdom and do it their way, they are actually double-minded. Hmm. They are a person that's saying to God, I want your wisdom, but they don't want his wisdom. Right. They want his confirmation. They want to say, I have a plan. I bet your wisdom's my wisdom. Yeah. I'm going to go seek it out. What is your wisdom? Oh, your wisdom opposes my wisdom. I'm going to go with mine this time. Next time, if your wisdom happens to align with my wisdom or feels right and good or logical, I'll go with it. I'm a double-minded person. I, you, you don't know when I'm, who do I trust? Me, God? Well, actually, really, I trust me because I'm going to measure God's wisdom based on what I know. Yep. So now, all that to say, yep. this context, you cannot pull this context out. And that verse that says, when you ask, d d don't have any doubt, otherwise right. he will give you nothing, right? And, and utilize that verse to cover the context of when you ask for anything in any space, you Healing, can have whatever. no doubt in God because he won't give you because he wants to see if you believe. That's the context this has been used in, healings and other things. And I'm like, uh, 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 yep. pull it. Rubbish. It, re it remains only in this context. Yep. Only Your doubt is actually in God's wisdom, not in the what God's going to do. Your doubt is God's way isn't the right way. I'm going to do it my way. Then you're double-minded. Then you'll be tossed to and fro. And if you're tossed to and fro and you're double-minded and you realize at a certain point after getting dizzy and throwing up a bunch <laughs> off the boat, you're like, this is stupid. Yeah. And you go back to God's wisdom and you believe God's wisdom and you do it his way. What this also says is as soon as you ask God for wisdom and he gives it to you and you believe it, guess what you're not going to be? Tossed to and fro. Right. And guess what you're not going to be? It's double-minded. Right. Yep. So... That is how we make sure we don't use verses in Scripture to make giant theological statements or realities when they don't belong in those spaces. They belong in their context. So, so let's, let's make this really real life. Yeah. Okay. So part of this, again, this is, this is our lunch hour together. I've set yeah. up a, an appointment with you. We're yeah. sitting down, sure. and I'm saying, Renaud, I'm, I'm in the midst of a trial, I'm struggling yep. in my life, yep. in whatever, my marriage, yep. my parenting, my friendships, friendships, my, my career, career circumstances, um, whatever, whatever it may be. So maybe give, give some examples of experiencing people say, uh, I'm really looking to get God's wisdom here and then saying, yeah, I'm not into it and then going and doing it their own way. Yeah. What, what has that looked like? I mean, you're a pastor, you've been a pastor for 25 years or so. Yep, yep. And you've probably had, give me those two pictures. Okay. The, the, the guy, yeah. the, gir the girl sits in front of you and says, here's my stuff, here's my life, here's my trial, here's my situation. And we have a gospel conversation yep. and I walk away, you know, he or she walks away and I say, yes or no. Yeah. What, what does so, that look like? Talk so, about that. So let me, um, let me start talking about that perhaps in this space that says, how do, we, how do we even find out what wisdom is before we make a decision on whether we're gonna follow it or not? So when I'm sitting in any circumstance uh, across a table, the circumstances change dramatically. Sure. Uh, the, the, the question is usually tied to some version of trial, and if it's tied to trial, then it's also tr tried, uh, tied to pain. M yeah. Meaning, yeah. I am feeling a certain amount of pain from something, a relationship, yeah. circumstance, or a resource yeah. challenge. So I'm coming to you to say, I, one, I wanna get out of this pain, who yeah. doesn't? All of us do. Yeah. 
uh, what's the best way out, mm -hmm. considering that this is causing me pain? Right. What does God say I need to do with this pain? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a little afraid that you're going to tell me I need to endure it or I need to press into it. I know God sometimes says, will you help me understand what do I do with this? So obviously these are the spaces of hard relational dynamics, whether that be in some friendships or enemies at work or spouse, uh, the, the spaces of separation, divorce, all that. And, and, and you have to understand, these are very complex spaces. So Always. we don't dare walk into them in a simplicity of blanket statements of God, God you know, this is obedience, this is not. I, I want to enter each of these spaces, resource challenges, circumstantial challenges, with a great deal of wanting to understand sure. the nuances because depending on all the layers, yeah. they are obviously, it changes what God says depending on what layers. Because his word speaks, his to, word those speaks layers. to those layers. Yeah. Now, when we enter those spaces, there are times where a particular circumstance, relational dynamic or resource challenge, God says very specific, very immediate things in scripture. So I like those because you sort of go, well, that particular challenge God actually speaks particularly Directly to, to that. Yeah. And so now we don't have to kind of try to navigate what that is. It, he just says this. Mm -hmm. So if God says directly this, our only question is, does the this that he says apply to your particular circumstance? Right. And that's where we have to dig into the circumstance a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, when there's a spousal challenge that has existed for a number of years and it's gotten to the point of perhaps there's a question mark now do we stay together or separate mm -hmm. my spouse is fill in the blank or i am um god obviously speaks to marriage and divorce in very specific ways for sure now what i want to do is i want to say god has some specific things to say about it does your particular circumstance match the specific thing the, the circumstances that he's speaking to yeah. And if it does, well, then we know what to do. We know it's very clear. Like it or not, right. love it or not, th th this is what it says. So now the grand journey becomes how do we do this? Uh, you can't do it alone because it's hard. Right. Or, you know what, it's not that hard. God actually, because sometimes God's wisdom is in different circumstances. I'm not speaking directly to divorce, I'm just talking about in general. Sometimes God's wisdom is, He says that, really? Oh, that's. That's yeah no yeah. no you 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 are a, a able to do this and, and not that, um, and so uh, this is a silly one and maybe I'm about to st step my foot into a, a, a giant hornet's nest. But whatever. Hold on, I just don't... stop for just a moment. Really are care. you sure? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, okay, pretty he's, sure. He's pretty sure. <laughs> pretty okay, sure. good. Um, but you know how many times I, I I've sat with someone and we and we unpack the journey of tithing, for example. Okay. And maybe it's a maybe it's a, a single mom mm -hmm. or a single dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, two kids working two jobs. They've man that ten percent that they've pushed faithfully on month. It's like they're dying and they're sitting with me and and they're trying to navigate finances and I'm looking at some stuff and I'm like you know what wow thank you for your incredible faithfulness. What's this about? And then it it turns out to be not a necessarily deep calling from God. It's it's that space we live in legalistically that's like, look, it's 10% or otherwise you're unfaithful. And if you're unfaithful, God's going to be unfaithful. Sometimes I'll encounter it. And when I say to them, you know that in the New Testament, like that is a good principle to land on, but there God, God has a lot of space in which he says, hold on, let's look at your circumstances. So if you are struggling to put food on the table right now, tithe something without a doubt. It's good to tell our souls, but you don't, you, you know, 3% right now would be a sacrificial and tremendous thing for you. What? What? Like, like there's sometimes the surprise of God's wisdom is actually the uh, opposite of what we thought. And it's, it, it sets us 
gives us space and breath and wisdom. And sometimes God's wisdom is stick to this, press into this. Well, well hold, hold on, you know, love your enemy and feed them. When well, Hold on, you don't understand, you don't understand. So on the one hand, when we bring a circumstance to the scripture in the navigation of that circumstance and a direct thing to it, I want to see, does the circumstance match the context of what this is speaking to? If it does, there's your wisdom. Right. Now we want to help you do it. How do we help you as a community do it? At times, a circumstance comes to the table and there's not a specific, this, here it is. It's a circumstance that it doesn't speak specifically to, right? Mm -hmm. Then what we want to do, or it speaks specifically to, but before I ever just go check, I want to dive one layer deeper and saying, this is a specific statement or there's no specific statement. What does the general narrative of scripture and the gospel tell us? Mm -hmm. So what is God's intent in our human purpose and all that? So I'm going to use it in two different fronts, right? Sometimes, so I'm going to use the divorce thing again. It's one that comes up fairly often. Sure. Let's imagine that in a particular circumstance, there is a circumstance in a divorce that from a, a legally biblical standpoint, we might, depending on our theological position, say the Bible. So the one we all think of, obviously, is if your spouse ha has and is living in a relationship that of, of infidelity, they are cheating on you. Right. right? So there's adultery, there's which adultery. Jesus specifically spoke to. to. Yeah. Then, then from a biblically legal standpoint, are you legally able to say, I, I can get out now? Okay. So let's say that's where we land. Not everybody lands there, but sure. let's say we land there. What I like to do before we just go, check, right. as that example, right? So right. I'm going to say, okay, hold on. What is the heart motive for wanting to get out? And though that is a legality that the Bible affords, is it God's desire, purpose, or most beautiful way? Is that God's sometimes, wisdom for you? Yeah, sometimes there's a more beautiful way. Yeah. And so God's wisdom affords you a particular freedom, right. but his wisdom is also affording you a particular it opportunity. It also may give you an invitation. Do you know how many times yeah. I have said to people, you, you probably have legal grounds from a biblical perspective to make a decision, whether that be in that category or others. But what if, what if your human purpose is actually to make the gospel beautiful, to demonstrate uh, redemption? So we take a Hosea, for example, and what God called him to. I mean, what God called him to was not normal. You know, like, right. like, you're not like, this is, this is God's standard. You know, like if your spouse becomes a, literally a person that sells themselves for all this stuff, uh, you go back 190 times and you win them over. Right. God was demonstrating his heart for Israel through the story of Hosea. 100%. But you also kind of go, I mean, what would that say of the gospel? Mm -hmm. How would God? So I like to explore God's wisdom, not just on the black and white front, mm -hmm. but also on the gospel informed front. Sometimes they're exactly the same. Sometimes this one gives opportunity where this one gives some freedom, if you will. And a, and a good example of that is when you recognize there's a principle in the New Testament, in, in the scripture, where Jesus says something like, hey, um, you know, the disciples say, how many times should we forgive someone who sins against us? And Jesus says seven times 70, right? Yep. This is a massively mind-blowing concept, <coughs> yep. especially in that culture, but for us as well. I mean, how many times do I forgive my spouse who wrongs me? Over and over and yep. over and yep. over and over. And and so you say, well, wow, from a legal perspective, the Bible gives me this black and white yep. where I, I can choose to make this decision. 
but there's also an invitation that's there. Sure. And so now I'm kind of in this space where I'm saying, okay, God, I see this in your word, but I also see this in your word and I need wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe so, you're so, asking so, the Holy Spirit, yeah. you're going to your biblical community, yeah, you're asking right. a pastor, you're walking through this, right. and, and, and God is beginning to reveal to you, yes. hey, I'm giving you Here. wisdom now yes. on how to do this. And sometimes there's some freedom in that. So people yeah. will come to me sometimes and say, I've got three schools I got accepted to. Right. I really just want to make sure I choose the right one. Which one does God want me to go to? Yeah. Well, the Bible does not actually specifically mention FSU. Right. Thou shalt um, go to Florida or State University. You see it, whatever, right? right? Yeah. It, it just doesn't. Although, so, go Knowles. It just it just doesn't, <laughs> and so just ignore it, it just doesn't. Okay, and so now we're seeking out what what is God's invitation for me in the way I live my life. Sure. How do I make yeah. choices that is playing into making my choice based on some other sets of wisdom? Now we don't, this isn't the space to go into how you do that one, totally. but I'll have that discussion and I'll bring the gospel into it. I'll say, okay, so here's then the gospel invitation, here's the Bible either speaking or not speaking to something. We bring those two together and we say, okay, so your opportunity, what is your opportunity? Now we're getting back to James. Your opportunity, if this is what we've discovered, God is both saying you can do, and here he's saying you could do. So uh-huh. I do that a lot. Uh-huh. You can do this, Yep. you could do this. I'm gonna press you into here, I'm gonna press myself into here because I've, I always tell people, when we leave this planet of death that is a breath, Done. Life over, right? Do you think we're really going to sit around at the fireplaces and be super, super excited about just what we could do and what we can do do versus the missed opportunities of what we could have done that would have elevated the gospel for a bit of suffering? That's why Paul said, if if I'm given the opportunity to suffer alongside Christ, I take it for the greater resurrection. What did he mean? If the more I suffer, the more resurrected I am, like my legs and my arms get resurrected then instead of, (laughs) obviously, like we are resurrected in Christ. So he wasn't meaning there's like layers of heaven. And if you really suffer a lot, what he was saying is this. I want to experience the power of the resurrection. If I'm called into a space where I can do something that will make the gospel even more beautiful and the cost Mm -hmm. of that is a little more suffering on my Mm -hmm. part, Mm -hmm. then not making it ugly or any way, but just I, I do what I'm, check legal box, or I do what I could have done to mm-hmm. demonstrate something powerful of God. I, I want to choose this. So my space is always going to be for my own life and for yours. Anyone else I'm sitting with is, I'm going to go like this. Here's what you definitely shouldn't do. Sure. You do this, it violates scripture. It violates scripture. Okay, yeah. you want to do that? Double-minded, toss to and fro. Good luck and on that. And people do that. Oh right? my gosh, yes, all the yeah. time. Yeah. So, um, so for, for example, for example, um, no, we're just really, really struggling financially right now. Um, it just, I don't make enough income right now. And I'm like, okay, that, that, let's, I, I make, you know, I make $82,000. Okay, that's a, that's a decent income. Oh, you, you, have, you have debt that you've accumulated over the last 20 years, credit card debt, and you've got uh, $62,000 of credit card debt that you've accumulated. Okay, so what we need to do over the next couple of years is we need to cut our budgets way, way, way back. We need to probably get rid of, um, oh my gosh, no, God forbid. The truck. Ne- Netflix. Oh no. And the truck oh, with the, with the with payment. The payment. Oh, that's no. so high. I can't no, but do that. You, don't, you have no idea how hard I worked for that truck. I no, really no, like I, my truck. I hear you. But we're going to do that. And, if, and, and I go, we go through sure. a, a plan and a lot of sacrifice. And over a couple of years, we'll work at that. We'll set ourselves free from that. You can make a lot of adjustments. I'll look at stuff. 
and and then it's like no because oh I, I thought there was a way that oh, this God, is going to be hard here, here, here's what the conversation was here's where the conversation started I'm thinking about declaring bankruptcy sure that's where the conversation started right do, do you think I can do that the Bible seems to leave some room for that now the Bible does have a rhythm of jubilee and other things sure that, and there are spaces. I would argue at a table, some would disagree with me. There are certain circumstances based on certain things that I would say, I think that is the intent of what the nation afforded us in that space. Right. But it is a very narrow space and we've broadened that space to every circumstance. So when I come to you and say, God is not saying that, he's actually saying this, lots of people will then say, okay, but lots of people also say, oh gosh, no, I'm going to go talk to somebody else until I find somebody Who that can say to me, me, I validate that. That, yeah. that happens, right? Uh -huh. So there's the, we know what God's word says. If you violate this, toss to and fro. Okay. Then we know what God's words say. If you obey this, you are not a double-minded person tossed to and fro. You're in obedience. So, and sometimes that's the only, there's not this third category of opportunity. Yeah. It just, here's obedience, do this, we're good, right? So for example, one of the spaces that I have that conversation quite often in our cultural context is I, I meet a, a lovely couple, mm -hmm. they're engaged, they're going to be married, they've been together three, four, five years, whatever it might be, and they're joining and I sit in that initial space when we're going through premarital counseling, I'm like, so um, you guys, where, where do you guys live? And they, they, they live in the same place, and then I go, okay, like, are you guys functionally uh, in a space right now where you are active in some of the things that are typically marital? And I'm being cryptic only because I, I know children sure. listen to this as well. So, you know, are you active? Yeah? Yeah. Like, okay. Like, okay, so, so, so here's the thing. I get it. But actually, God's word has some specific things to say about that. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the legalism of it. Like, don't do this or God's going to be mad. There's a reason God actually has a way. Yeah. And it's a way that leads to life. Leads and to I life. travel yeah. through that and how this then affects future marriage and stuff. And now this couple has a choice. Mm -hmm. the, the way of God is going to require some hard steps from you. You've yeah. now opened into something that's become a normalcy for you. I get it. And you're three months away from getting married. So the logical reality is actually yeah, really, just, I mean, just... at this point, does it make any difference? And I go makes all the difference in the world, not because of a legal check, but because of what it will communicate to your soul saying, do I trust God's way or not? That's an right. example of something where I come, here's what it says. It's really just a, a, a do it and obey. Now, when I'm in this space, violate, double-minded, toss to and fro. Here's what you have the freedom or here's what God's call is, do that. Then there's this other space. Like, you could do this. You have the right to. But what if you laid down your right to do this in this particular circumstance for the sake of doing this? So in practical ways, that might be, okay, disobedience looks like, I don't care what you're saying. I don't care what the Bible says. We're going to keep doing what we're doing, yep. and we're going to get married in three months. Yep. Um, obedience says, okay, um, let's perform the wedding ceremony this afternoon. Yep. Or, or, or for example, or, we will not be active. Mm-hmm. But the inconvenience of moving out and now again, yeah. this is touchy because I wouldn't say moving out is a necessity biblical in those spaces or biblical yeah, command. Sure. But let's say, and I said to you, now what you could do is you could actually go find a roommate for three months, you. Oh my gosh, that, I'd, we'd have to pay for an extra place. Yeah, no, it, it would suck a little bit for sure. Yeah. But if you did that, 
now you're taking not just a legal check the box, but you're saying we want to demonstrate to our friends and to us and that we didn't know this before we we, or now, we were disobedient before, so but now we're going to opportunity. Gonna... It, mm -hmm. It's not a must. It this one fulfills the legality, so you're not the in the disobedience space. You're in the obedience space, but this one is that's the beautiful, invitation. Space, the invitation. Yeah. And those who take this one, man, like it's hard, it's sacrificial in any context. You stay in a relationship, you have the right to get out for now. And, and again, be very careful at a table like this, uh, for all of you listening to this ever, okay? As of right now, I'm making zero statements of what the right and wrong moves are because the whole point is I'm in a conversation yeah. and I'm determining in your particular set of circumstances what applies and what doesn't. My right. point here is simply to say there's disobedience, there's obedience, and there's invitation. And sometimes this is all there is and then it's just this or this. And sometimes there's this additional like you could and this would be beautiful for the gospel. That's why I'm always evaluating every circumstantial, relational, or resource trial in the context of does the Bible say something specific? If not, then what is the gospel uh, how does call the gospel us to? apply? How does it apply? If it says something specific, is there still a gospel application that elevates? Or is there something specific, the elevation? And bottom line is, if it says something specific or the gospel informs it, and you ignore gospel inf information or a specific and do it your way, well, then it's a clear, just, straight up, like, good luck. Yeah, and I think that's a really helpful paradigm to start thinking about when we ask God for wisdom, how might he respond, yeah. right? And what does the Word of God say? Yep. It, it may spe specifically speak to our si situation. And then we need to obey that. And there may be an invitation that comes along with that. And we get the opportunity to step into that. Yep. Um, it may just be a principle. And we need to think and process and ask and gain wisdom by the Spirit through biblical community. And then and we get the opportunity, word, yeah. and through His Word, we get the opportunity to apply that. We get the opportunity to step into <coughs> that. And that's an awesome thing. So and, when, and when I disobey, just last thing. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I ignore God's way in some form of dailiness. Yeah. In, for example, a moment does. like my wife says something and I respond in an inappropriate way and snap back at her like or I'm sarcastic. or what. So we are all every day teetering between the obedience and the disobedience. The key then is what the beauty of God is, is repentance and confession. Right. Not for the sake of salvation. He's already forgiven us. And repentance and confession is my con constant recognition that God has a way, right. and I sometimes ignore it. Yeah. And I realize how dumb that is, but I still do it sometimes. So when I do, I say, one, sorry. Two, I, I, I definitely don't want to necessarily keep doing this. So if it's a habit, help, help me, me break change. the habit. Yeah. If it's a moment, help me know not to do it again. So, so it's a constant working, but when we're just coming to God for wisdom in a particular trial, he's going to give us wisdom. We either believe it or we don't. And if we don't and we don't do it, it's going to go badly. And if we do, it's ultimately in the long run going to bring life. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, so kind of as we conclude our time today, we've got a few more minutes, and I want to I wanna maybe take a bit of a transition. Sure. And we've talked about uh, faith and healing, yep. and now we've talked about this dynamic of um, asking for wisdom and doubting and yep. what that looks like. Yep. Um, can we talk for just a few minutes about the journey of our walk with Jesus, the, the, the <coughs> journey of spiritual faith, the journey of um, salvation and, and walking with the Lord and Christianity? And I'm looking at the time. I know. Like, it's, it's 1247, so we've got 13 minutes. Okay. Um, talk to me about the, the world of doubt when it comes to our belief in God, our belief in Jesus 
our walk with him. Yeah, sure. Our faith with him. Because when we think about this idea of doubt, not just in terms of our prayer affecting certain things, but doubt in terms of, God, do you even exist? Um, is this whole thing, what, yeah. is it all true? Yeah. Is the Bible trustworthy? Or, you know, all of those kind of questions that we have. Yeah. And, and, and what, is the, what is the role of faith yeah. And sure. how do we deal with doubts in that context? Yeah. Um, speak to that for a little bit. So I'm coming to you and I'm no, saying, no, I, Reno, I, I, I Reno, I'm it. struggling. So, um, so this really is an hour-long cup of coffee. It is. Um, so maybe, maybe and, let's and, just tee it up. I'm going to tee it up yeah. because, because honestly, like even as you say that, there's so many layers to this that we need to understand in order to have the freedom to navigate into the world of doubt. Mm-hmm. But there's also in that there are some real dangers in the way we handle doubt. Okay. And and so I don't just want to speak to doubt is great, it's fine, it's a natural part, which it is, all of those things. Sure. But we're also living in a context right now where the amount of information that we are collecting and absorbing uh, that is under the quote-unquote expert category from online is a lot of people that don't have a grounded clarity of the depths of faith and apologetics, and, the, and apologetics is the defense of our faith and understanding. They're watching a video series out of a, you know, Princeton University by an articulate professor that's now available to the whole world instead of just 10 people in that professor's class, and they're all becoming agnostic and atheist. So there is a, there is a journey we do need to talk about. How do we navigate our own journey of collecting facts and information? How do we make sure that we're doing that across the board? How do we make sure that we're encouraging those, especially our young adults, if we are parents who are navigating spaces? How do we neither become the doubt? Anytime you have it, don't ask those questions. It's an evil track and it's going to take you nowhere good. Don't read that material. Don't watch those videos. In other words, we've done what we've done in in years past. You go to the pastor and like, I'm struggling with some questions. What book are you reading? That one? Oh, put that away right away. It's of the devil. Yeah. I'm like, no, I, 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 if, 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 if my big win for you never to doubt is to keep you from things that might cause you to doubt. From thinking. From thinking. <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, right? totally. Trouble is that in a society where there's a massive amount of information available, it's articulate, it's beautiful, and it makes sense. And unless you have really a whole nother set of information or even a particular wiring to process things through logically. There's a lot of false logic out there on both sides. I mean, in the defense of the faith as well as that, and we have to eliminate all that. Doubt is a tricky thing because in our society, just saying point blank, doubt is fine, is, can lead to some dangers because it can make you assume you can travel down roads of doubt, think on your doubt, pursue your doubt, read all sorts of stuff about your doubt. There's lots out there. Not the healthiest way to deal with doubt. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, to say, doubt is bad, mm-hmm. doubt is unhealthy, doubt's going to lead you down that road, so whenever you doubt, let's pray over that and let's solve that another way, also bad. So, there's so a healthy there's, version of doubt. So there's this middle different uh, yes. version, and there's, there's a, a, a space at which we can work on our faith, right? So, so let's, let's take next week, yep. and let's do faith and doubt part two. Sure. And before we jump, uh, and yes, let me say one last thing about that that probably begins to tee this up. So um, I, um, every now and then, uh, I don't, it's not very often, but when I have the ability to read a little novel here and there, I do. So it's been a a while, but um, 
before the Bourne movies came out, I actually had read some of the Bourne novels mm. and, and enjoyed them. And there was a scene in one of the Bourne novels where Jason Bourne um, is up in a high building and he's, he's about to go on an assignment and he's assessing the whole environment. And he says this thing in the novel, I mean, obviously the author of the novel is writing this, but some version of basically he says, look, as he looks at his environment, in order to make sure that he's not missing anything in the environment, he needs to assume that everything he's seeing is, is wrong and he needs to evaluate it and then abandon it if necessary. So mm. it's kind of a, sure. so I've made a quote out of that for myself. Everything you know might be wrong. So everything you know must be evaluated regularly and abandoned if necessary. Yeah. Did I include into that the gospel? No, no, because that one I don't want to evaluate regularly because I might find it to be. No, I included it in. Of course I did. Because if the gospel is true, then my ongoing evaluation of its truth, my digging in, will lead to its truth, right? Because truth is truth. Right. When we find it, it's true. Now, here's, here, so I say that, and I used to just say that, but now I, now I add this other component. How we evaluate everything is where it gets tricky. That is, that's the Because in our society, key. the way we evaluate stuff these days is we don't process it, we don't think about it much, we just absorb it. We listen to anyone saying anything, and if they're articulate and they say it well, we make it our opinion. That's how we roll as a society. Mm. So now it's changed the game in terms of what it means when I say everything I know might be wrong, so everything I know must be evaluated or assessed is the word I used, assessed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The assessment of truth is really where we need to spend our time when we're talking about that, like how do you assess truth? But that doubt is a healthy part of our spiritual journey. Doubt is a healthy part of our spiritual journey. And faith and doubt and understanding what is faith that is not going to fail us and what is faith that is fickle and moves back and forth and how the two are different and how we can play in this space of doubting. And the doubt actually drives us to digging for further truth, which is a very, very good thing. It's part of our journey. I think that's a very worthwhile conversation to have next week as we've moved from sorrow and suffering into healing and faith into doubting God's wisdom versus having doubt affect the ability to heal. Right. And now to say, so then how do we evaluate truth when yep. doubt is a part of our journey. Yep. Very good. Not okay. A bad space to go. Okay. Very good. So let's, uh, let's do that. Next week we'll talk through uh, faith and doubt in terms of our walk with God, our relationship with God, yeah. our belief what in God. What kind of doubt is good? Yeah. We've now determined this week what kind of doubt is not good. Yeah. Right? Essentially yeah. we've said, if you're going to ask for wisdom, but then you're going to doubt his wisdom, that's just bad every time. Yeah. But is there a doubt that we can have that is actually a helpful version and a natural, normal version of our spiritual journey? Yeah, and we're going to explore that in a different context as well. That's exactly And, and right. not in the context of wisdom when God says, right. do this, do that. His and wisdom, don't doubt it. Don't, like, yeah. The answer right. to that is if he gives you his wisdom, don't doubt it. Right, believe it and, and apply it. Believe it and apply it, <laughs> otherwise you're going to be tossed to and fro. Right. But in life and your journey and God and who he is and as you have ups and downs of doubt and faith, doubt and faith in terms of your emotional experience and your intellectual experience. Yeah. Where is that okay? Where is that dangerous? What does that all mean? How do we deal with it? Good questions. Awesome. So we will deal with that next week. Looking forward to that. Thank you guys so much for those of you who joined us on Facebook Live. And if you're listening on the podcast, we're glad that you were able to do this. If you're uh, joining us on Facebook Live after the fact, that's a great thing uh, that we can be able to do as well. This has been really, really fun. Again, if you have specific questions you want to share um, or ask, 
you can email us at lunchhour <coughs> at thisismosaic.org. Uh, so that's lunchhour at thisismosaic.org. Um, and feel free to jump in on the comments um, on Facebook. Uh, we're happy to have this be a broader conversation than what's yeah. at this table. Yeah. So. so we'll go and we'll see where the adventure takes us next. Sounds Great. good. Thanks, right. Joel. Thank Great you. Great to be with you again today.